0: I want to continue something that I started uh, some weeks ago. I spoke about the gathering of the church. Anybody with, that was there? no, Okay, so if you weren't here, just go and listen to the first part on the website. Because it's important for us to realize that God has a plan for the church, and it involves gathering together as the saints. And I was amazed when I started researching this, and I looked at how often in the New Testament it speaks about assembling together, gathering together uh, as believers, and that is an essential part of our um, uh, ministry in in the church, to to get together on that basis. And I gave you some key words, and I just dealt with three of them, and I have another 72 that I want to share. So... (laughs) So, let me quickly just go through the first three that we dealt with at the last uh, occasion. We spoke about adoration and said how important it is for us to to worship God and uh, Jesus spoke about us getting together in his name, and as I said, he should always be the focus He should be at the at the center of, of everything, and that 's what he says in in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name. That's the guarantee for His uh, presence if if we focus around Him. Then secondly, we spoke about supplication. In adoration, we give to God. In supplication, we ask of God. And we see that the church in the book of Acts, the church of the early days, they got together, and it's in chapter 4, it says the place where they were assembled together was shaken when they prayed. There's power when we pray corporately. And the third thing we spoke about was harmonization. And again, going back to Matthew 18, Jesus speaks about uh, when we agree on something. We spoke about that that word is the same word where we get our word symphony from and that we can actually make beautiful music to God if we come together in unity and in, in, in harmony. Uh, I was so blessed. Let me just share this with you because uh, yesterday I taught in a, in a Bible school uh, and I shared these two scriptures with them. I said, go in, in, and compare them. In Matthew 18:20, Jesus says, where two or three gather together in my name, I will be there. In the midst of them. And in the context, it speaks about forgiveness, reconciliation, unity, harmony, symphony, as we said. Then there's a scripture in the book of James that I said, tells us the opposite thing. In James 3.16, I want to read it from the Living Bible. It says, wherever there is jealousy or selfish ambition, there will be disorder and every other kind of evil. Wow. Wow. So we can decide what presence we want in our gatherings. Either we can invite every, every form of evil or we can invite the presence of Jesus. So it's important for us to, when we get here, forget about selfish ambitions. Forget about yourself. You are here firstly for God and then you are here for others. And I'll speak about that later. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Otherwise, I have nothing to say when I get there. Okay, so let me give you the fourth key word for our gathering together, and it's the word non-discrimination. Non-discrimination. And I think it's so important when we gather together as a church, there must be impartiality. In James chapter 2, And I am not going to give you the whole scripture on the screen there, but it it, it says there, Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if they should come into your assembly, there's the concept of gathering again. A man with gold rings in fine apparel, and they should also come in a poor man with filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And the thing is this, we can never allow any kind of prejudice in the body of Christ. It doesn't belong... At all. And that's what, what it says very clearly. There should be, should not be any bias based on race, ethnicity, culture, uh, language, skin color, whatever it might be. It doesn't belong in the church because there must be non-discrimination. Now, I want to share with you about a, a group of Christians, and thankfully they are a minority group, but they actually advocate a... A doctrine that is obviously erroneous that is unscriptural and I don't even want to create interest in this but it's called British Israelism and here's what they believe we know that the nation of Israel was was uh, taken into captivity uh, by the Assyrians then they were in, in, in Babylon in, in about 700 years before Christ and then eventually they returned after 70 years in captivity, but only two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. The other 10 tribes of Israel, we don't know what happened to them. They actually, they called the lost tribes today because through um, intermarriage with other nations, they kind of lost their uniqueness and they, they just disappeared. And here's what British Israelism actually claimed. They say no, they didn't disappear. They migrated to England. So today, here's what what that doctrine says only white Anglo Saxons from Britain, America, Canada, they are the real children of God. The Hebrew word for that is rabish. You see, we cannot nationalize or culturalize the church. I actually said this <laughs> in, a, in a Church of England cathedral in the center of London. I ministered there. And uh, I, I, I just had supernatural courage to say this. And I said to them, you know it's wrong to speak about the Church of England. And everybody went like this. I said, because it's not the church of England. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Doesn't belong to England. And the queen is not the head of the church. And that used to be her title. Used to be called the supreme head of the church. Every monarch in Britain since Henry VIII, I mean, what a guy to take the title for himself. But it's not, I said to them, it should be the church in England, not the church of England. The queen is not the head, neither is the pope. There's one head of the church, and it's Jesus Christ. And we cannot uh, claim God just for, for our little group. <laughs> There's no nation that has, that has a franchise on the kingdom. The kingdom belongs to God, and we need to to realize that. And I want to say, in in, in South Africa, here's what we need to see ourselves. I know people identify themselves in in different ways, but let me say this. you, If you're a believer, you are firstly a Christian before you call yourself a South African, before you call yourself an Africana or or Musutu or whatever you are. You are firstly a Christian. That should identify you. You are a believer. I, and, I, and I know in, in different churches in South Africa, the language medium used in that church will attract people, obviously, that could understand that language. But we should never, never have prejudice in the church. Say amen, say a say ish, say something because it's true. Thank you. You see, here's the mandate of the church. Here's the head of the church speaking. Jesus Christ said this. He said, go therefore and make disciples of every nation. And I remember just after the, the first democratic elections, there was a church that kind of held on to some of the old ways. And they called themselves, and this was their slogan, a kerk for blanca Afrikaners. That goes so against the mandate that Jesus gave to the church. You see, a church limited to one nation is an abomination. (laughs) That's what it is. And and I like what what Jesus said uh, even when he spoke about the Old Testament house of God and in the New Testament we are the house of God but he said when he kicked those guys out of the the temple he said, have you not written that it says in Scripture my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations? That must have shocked the Jews. So God wants us to see that there should not be any discrimination in the church. So... We should take not just the the things they have been removed from the law books, but we should take that out of our hearts. And sometimes people say, but our church is open to everybody, but they don't make everybody feel welcome. Come on. I heard a story of of something that happened in the deep south of America where there's also all kinds of things going on. And this uh, African-American guy went into the church and they asked him to leave. And he went outside and he sat on the steps outside and he was crying and he was saying, Lord, I so much wanted to get into that church and they wouldn't allow me to get into the church. And he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, I've been trying to get into that church for the last 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me continue because I, as I say, I have 72 other things. The fifth reason and key word why we gather together is consideration. That's why I said at the beginning of the service, we come here not for ourselves. Please listen to me. If you come here and you turn your focus away from yourself, you'll, you'll leave here more blessed than what you were if you just focused on yourself. We need to consider others. And um, in First Corinthians 11, this is a... Uh, a scripture we often use when we uh, partake of communion. It's interesting that here from verse 17 onwards, that Paul, five times in this passage, uses the phrase or the word together, to come together. And, and I just want to single out one particular scripture or verse there, and it's verse 20. He says, when you come together in one place... In one place. It is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, uh, uh, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. And this is what happened at that time, because communion was a real meal. And some of them didn't consider the others. And here's what he then says. He says in verse 33, My brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. That's consideration. Now, in, in another context, we should always wait for one another. Don't rush to just get the best thing for yourself and then not think of anybody else. Always come with someone else in mind. I want to challenge you this morning to change your, just your paradigm uh, uh, concerning that. And, and uh, just incidentally, Paul says, in one place. I know there's a kind of a movement uh, in the world to Where they speak against church buildings, and I know sometimes a building can be such an empty thing. But we're not against buildings. Building is nice. Why? Why have church buildings? Here's the deep spiritual truth. A building is so that we can get together in all kinds of weather. (laughs) That's all it is about. It's not some, this is not the house of God. And when they speak about a heart for the house, it's not this building. It's a heart for the house. And, and that is you. I remember I was involved in um, coordinating a, a fellowship of ministers, and we, we used to have regular gatherings once a month. There was a guy that missed a number of meetings, so I decided to phone him, and I said to him, listen, why don't you come to the meetings? He says, because I don't need anything. I said, you know what, please come to the next meeting because we need you. Come and share with us. How did you arrive at the place where you need nothing from nobody? Not good English, but he got the point. And (laughs) don't come to church only when you need something. Come so that you can give something to someone else. Let me continue. The next uh, uh, key word is the word coordination. There must be some coordination in, in, in the meeting. And here I'm speaking about order in the sense of divine order, not a cold kind of uh, rigorous religious regulation of people, not legalistic control over people, but just to have to do things as Paul speaks about, let everything be done decently and in order. And he speaks that in First Corinthians 14, where he speaks about the manifestations of the Spirit. And just that one scripture there, he speaks about Pentecostals, charismatics, and he says if everybody speaks in tongues at the same time, he says, won't an unbeliever or an uninformed person say, you're out of your mind? So there must be some kind of order in our services. And just listen to this. Again, it's a very deep spiritual truth. In order to have order, someone must give the orders. There must be somebody in charge. That's why God has a set person in the church. That's why God puts leaders in the church so that things could be done in an orderly way. Because in that same passage, he says, God is not the author of disorder or confusion, but of harmony and peace as in all the churches. So that's, uh, that's what God wants. Now, here's what shocked me, and I, I, I had to read it a couple of times because some years ago when I, when I researched this scripture specifically where it says everything should be done decently in order, I looked up the Greek word. You will not believe this, but you can go and check it out. The Greek word for order is taxis. <laughs> it really is. You spell it exactly like <laughs> taxis. Now, I, I'll be honest with you, for me, that's an anomaly because I c- couldn't think of order and taxis in the same <laughs> breath. But, but actually, think about this. We speak about a taxi rank. And I found that once. I wanted to take some American guests into Alex. And I went to, we were in the, in the inner city at the time, and I took them to Joubert Park, and we wanted to get in a taxi, and I said to him, we want to go to Alex, and the guy said, you cannot get into this taxi. So I I got a fright. So he says to me, I cannot take you to Alex, they'll kill me, because we have order. I I only go to Soweto. So there is some order. (laughs) But here's what I want to say. It is important for us to realize that we cannot just have chaos. Sometimes I'm surprised at Pentecostals and Charismatics when, uh, 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 unless there's chaos in a the service, they, they don't feel there was any anointing. God is a God of harmony and order. So there should be order when we, when we gather together. Okay. Uh, number seven, here's another key reason why we gather, edification, and again, I want to go to 1 Corinthians 14, and it's worthwhile to go and study those, those chapters, and I want to read verse 26 to you, and just incidentally, here's proof, I believe, that Paul must have been South African, and he must have come from the south of Joburg, because here's how he starts, how's it then, brethren, It's in the Bible. <laughs> I can see Paul. How's it? My China. <laughs> but here's what he says. Whenever you, and here's that familiar phrase again, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. So that's what our gathering should be like. And I want to encourage you, Adrian, what do you call them? Connect groups. You need to get uh, involved in a connect group because that's an ideal situation where these things can happen because it cannot always happen in larger meetings like that. But in, an, in a smaller situation, everybody can bring a contribution. And then uh, that verse ends with this phrase, let all things be done for edification. And that means building up. We need to build each other up. And uh, obviously, the Word of God is vitally important here. If I can just read Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, it says that Jesus gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints and uh, for their work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's us. So it's important for us to realize that. Then um, there's the word exhortation. Exhortation is so important, it means encouragement. Here's one of my favorite scriptures when it comes to church. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. The author says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. Wow. So this is a place of exhortation. This is a place of encouragement. People should leave our gathering and they should feel encouraged. You go to some churches and I tell you what, they're so legalistic and they preach doom and gloom and the message is dim and grim. (laughs) And you walk out with a lot of guilt and condemnation. I thank God for a church like this, where the gospel is preached in its pure form. Because when you walk out of here, you should feel, wow, I'm encouraged. And let me say this, we cannot, uh, and and notice the phrase there, let us consider one another. Uh, And he says, let's exhort one another. This is the place where you will be exhorted. He says, and 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 let me put it in plain and simple language. Don't develop a habit of missing church. He says it's the manner of some to forsake the gathering of the believers. It's a bad habit. Now, Cora and I, and we were talking to Will this morning, and we we were explaining how we grew up. Um, Cora lived a block away from the church all her life when she grew up. I lived, since I was four years old, in the house right next door to the church. We were there every time. It it, it became a habit for me. Every time the doors opened. I even went to women's meetings (laughs) with my mother. But every time the doors opened, we were there. And it was only eight years later, when I was 12 years old, that we moved and we moved to the house on the other side of the church. (laughs) So for me, not to be together with the saints on a regular basis bothers me. Now, I know some people only come to church out of habit, but it's not a bad habit. (laughs) I remember I was preaching in a particular church, and I was preaching my heart out, and there was a guy sitting here in the middle, right in front of me, and while I'm, I'm, I'm preaching, he's going like this. <laughs> Amen. And you know, and let me just tell the ladies here, sometimes you think we cannot multitask. Men can't multitask. We can watch seven channels at the same time. (laughs) But here, that day I was multitasking because I'm preaching my heart out and I'm watching this guy at the same time. And at the same time, I'm also complaining to God because I'm saying, God, look at this guy. I'm preaching my heart out and he's sitting there. (laughs) And you know what? As clear as anything I heard the Holy Spirit say, at least he's sleeping in church. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit continued and he said, If I can just catch him in one waking moment, I can change his life. And that's true. So please, if you're only coming out of a habit or tradition, don't stop that. It's a good habit. But it is important if we want to be encouraged or if we want to encourage one another, we need to get together. And, and that is what, what the gathering of the saints is, is all about. I remember, and maybe it's because, and, and I think uh, uh, Colin, uh, they from the same stock, we were always the last people to leave the church. Because for me, sometimes the meeting after the meeting is just as important as the meeting. And that's why I love your, your, your culture here of having coffee because, listen to me, this is the time. I remember last time we, we had such a good press session out there with somebody. And this is where we can encourage one another. Don't just leave. Stay. Talk to someone. Hug someone. Give them a smile. Give them an encouragement. That's why we're here. For exhortation. I think the janitor in, in the church where we grew up, we were bad news for him, because he wanted to lock up the church, and we, <laughs> we kind of just were hanging around. Now, when we travel, you know, and, and I don't consider myself a, a kind of a big name, but I know some of the big name speakers when they uh, have uh, services. I, I know some of them; they don't come into the service until the worship is almost done. Then they walk in. And immediately after they have preached, they have fifteen bodyguards whisking away w- them away because their life is threatened. <laughs> but I've experienced the same thing when we travel we overseas. Then people say to us, uh, "When when I finish preaching, come with me." Come, I said, "No, I want to stay here." And especially in Italy, those people are amazing. None of them can talk English, but everybody wants to come and talk to you. <laughs> and they hug and they kiss you both cheeks. And some of the men haven't shaved for three days, so you, uh, you get a scrub whether you like it or not. <laughs> but I tell you what, it's so important, I believe, to interact with people and to encourage one another. And even those hugs and those words in Italian that I say to the interpreters, stay with me. Uh, Those things are so important because we need to exhort one another. Number next, (laughs) proclamation. We come together for proclamation. This is what it's about. Not just about the preaching of the word here, but you need to take this word, you need to go and share this with With others. Uh, We looked at the Scripture earlier in Acts 4.31. It says, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. Wow. Do you want to become a bold witness? This is where you will be empowered. This is the place where you will be emboldened to go and speak the Word of God out there. So your responsibility is to take the Word that you hear here and to go and speak it out there and to go and proclaim it to the world. So this is a place of of empowerment. And then lastly, and I'll leave the other 60-odd points. (laughs) Lastly, we come together for evangelization. Now, I I posted something on on social media uh, the last week about don't just invite people to come to church. We need to to not just be a a come-see church. We need to be a go-be church. But it is important to invite people also. If you have good friends, say, I'll come and pick you up. Because this is a place where they will experience... The presence of God. And uh, again, I want to go to, to 1 Corinthians 14. And it says this in verse 23. If the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he's convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart is revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Wow. Get some uninformed people. Get some unbelieving people and get them here, and God will do the rest. It's not up to you. I'll be honest with you, I've long given up on on producing results. (laughs) Because I realized it's, that's not my responsibility. I must just preach the word and I leave the results up to God. And sometimes we, 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 we're disappointed when nothing happens. You don't know what happens. So just build relationships with people. Just connect with them, and if you can get them here, this is where they will experience God. This is where they will be convinced. This is where they will be convicted. This is where God will will change them. So let me conclude with this. If we as a church get together and there's adoration, God will be glorified. If we have consideration for one another, believers will be edified. If we have a heart for the uninformed and the unbelievers, they will be modified. (laughs) And because of all things, the devil will be horrified. (laughs) But it's important for us to realize why do we gather together. So I want to encourage you, go and listen to this again. And and, and just ask God to help you to, to understand that we need to be true church. It's another thing that I posted, and I said, We must watch out for country club Christianity. Because the church is not a members only club. And I want to read this last quote to you before we pray. It's by a man who had a very apt name, William Temple. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury, and he said this about the church. The church is the only cooperative society in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members. So this church does not just exist for you. This church exists to impact this community. That's why God called this church and planted this church here. And isn't it amazing to have a communal society that actually exists for its non-members? That's why God called us. And maybe some other time when I minister here, I can, I can speak about the scattering of the church. Because that's a, a totally different aspect of the ministry of the church. How we need to gather in order to scatter. Amen.